Uh, good morning. Uh, it's great to be back with you. It's not Groundhog Day, where I've come back again, but uh, it's great to be with you. Listen, that song we just sang is basically what we talked about last week. When we know that we are loved and accepted in Jesus Christ, then we are freed and empowered to love and accept others. That's the glorious gospel. So we talked about that last week. I, I don't have to be a consumer of relationships. I can be a giver of relationships. It's all the difference in the world. And uh, I promised you a prayer that I brought from last week. I uh, didn't have my printer working, and I wanted the copies. Uh, I, I should confess, uh, I gave Best Buy a bad name last week, and I shouldn't do that. I misread it. It was supposed to be ready this Saturday. So uh, for those of you who are not shopping at Best Buy anymore, uh, correct that. Uh, actually, I got here a little early, so I could actually run off. Actually, in the back, I put it on the daily bread table. There's about 20 or 30 copies of the prayer, the gospel prayer by J.D. Greer. In Christ, there is nothing I can do to make you love me more, Father, and nothing I have done to make you love me less. Your presence and approval are all that I need for everlasting joy and the freedom to sacrificially love and accept others. As you've been to me, so I will be to others. That's the gospel. So I've, that is available for you. I've also taken the liberty to add eight other prayers. <laughs> you know, rather than chopping it up. But these are prayers. I, I preached this some time ago, uh, some of these prayers. But I had just found absolutely essential for me, at least, to regiment my life a little bit to, to certainly be free of my prayer life, but to pray scripture. And I find when I pray scripture, uh, God answers. And when I keep praying it repeatedly, it becomes ingrained in my own life more. And uh, so if that's helpful to you, uh, I've thrown those in as well. And uh, anyhow, that's uh, for your benefit. It's available back there. It'll fit in your Bible. You can post it somewhere. It's a good prayer to pray. Hey, I don't know how competitive you are. How many of you are competitive? Ah, we've got some. All right. But uh, I have a streak of competitiveness in my own life. Uh, I was an athlete for many years. Uh, now that I'm a little older, age catches up with me. And where I used to race to win, I just race to finish. <laughs> and that sometimes is hard to do. Not like John here, who whew, just spins off. And uh, we're competitive, right? Uh, some of us have that. Uh, I love to play golf. In fact, I play with Mark on occasion. And, and just, uh, I want to make a sidebar about Mark and his golf game. <laughs> or how he handles golf, I should say. As an elder, you're probably wondering that. Is he above reproach in the golf course? <laughs> uh, I can confess to you, and without a shadow of a doubt, I've never seen him throw his golf clubs break one in frustration, or stomp off the course when he wasn't playing well. Did I say what he wanted me to say, Mark? <laughs> okay. There might be some doubt in there about that. Okay, all right. <laughs> you know, but we're competitive by nature, right? And, and uh, when I play golf, I don't necessarily compete against other people, except when it comes to my brother. <laughs> it's a whole different ball game here. He's a little older than I am. He's a better handicap than I am, and I've never beat him. And so when we play, and we can't play it that much because he lives in California, 
And so we don't get out. But I remember one time praying him out of California, and I was actually beating him in nine holes. I thought, this is it. This is it. I'm finally going to beat him. Got to the 10th hole. It was a par three, 150 yards. I shanked it in the neighbor's yard just by hit their patio window. And it went all downhill from that. He beat me again. And uh, another area I'm quite competitive. My wife, if she was here, would tell you this, uh, playing cards with my wife. I got to win. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen very often, so I don't play very much cards with her anymore. My grandson does, but I don't. Well, competition, competition can be good, can it? It can be fun. It can be enjoyable. Well, this morning, I, I, as we talk about the second part of this, transforming our relationships, I, I want to challenge you to enter into a competition as a church, with one another. And this competition is good, it's healthy, and it's a competitive challenge that Paul gives us in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Outdo one another in showing honor. Romans 12, 10. Outdo one another in showing honor. Give uh, translated this way, give preference in showing honor, or the Greek says show eagerness in showing honor, or lead the way in showing honor. I love what Ray Ortland Jr. says. He says, it's a gospel Olympics in this phrase, out-honor one another. Out-do one another in showing honor. Now, I doubt whether we think much about this in our relationships. We kind of just skim over some of these uh, Phrases. We know we're to love one another, but we don't think much probably about being competitive and outdoing one another and showing honor. Uh, we use the term honor, don't we, in our society, in different culture, uh, different ways. There's the Medal of Honor uh, that a serviceman or woman can win for being a valor. I have a good friend of mine, Gary Bykirk, who uh, some of you may know, who's uh, won about every medal you can get. In the Vietnam War, honored by the military, medals of honor. Some of you may have been involved in schooling where you were on the National Honor Society. If you're in a, in a uh, courtroom, how do we address the judge? Your honor. I say, hey, how you doing, dude? <laughs> no, your honor. We recognize his status or her status in there. Uh, we honor people who have been dignitaries, who have died and uh, served the country well. Uh, remember when George H.W. Bush passed away, the 41st president, uh, I watched a little bit of, of that funeral, state funeral, and I said to my wife, kind of kiddingly, I said, you don't have to go that far with me, just reduce it just a little bit. <laughs> and she said, yeah, okay, next. But it's in our culture, right, to honor, we, we use that term. The dictionary defines honor this way in two ways. One, to keep an agreement or promise made. We sometimes say to a person, you're an honorable person. You keep your promises. Forty-seven plus years ago, I walked down the aisle. My wife walked down the aisle. I met her. I just about fainted. In the midst of it, it was so hot. But I remember these words. I, I will be with you till death do its part. And I've honored that statement so far by the grace of God. Now, the second definition or description of honor in the dictionary that I think applies to what Paul's talking about here, to honor is to regard with great respect 
to esteem, to admire, to defer to, to look up to, to appreciate, to value, to cherish, to reverence, to revere, to venerate, to worship. There's a lot in that, but when you look at the Bible, you begin to see that there are specific commands to honor people. For instance, we are to honor God. We're going to honor God. We just sang just a few songs ago about blessing and honor to God. Of Revelation chapter 5, verse 12. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Revelation 5, 12. I mean, God deserves the highest praise. He deserves the highest honor to be esteemed, to be revered, to be looked up to. None of us ever come to that in our own lives. God deserves that above all else and above everyone else. Second, we're to honor those in authority. Uh, Peter wrote these words in 1 Peter 2.17. Honor the emperor. In our culture, it would be honor the president or the governor or the county executive or whatever. Anyone's over us. By the way, when Peter wrote these words, we think that the church was under Emperor Nero at that time, and he was not a pleasant person to be under. In fact, he began to persecute the church, and we are told that he would burn Christians at the stake outside of his courtyard. Peter said, honor the emperor. And by the way, we live in a political climate of shame and dishonor. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. But we as believers are honor those in authority. Number three, the Bible says we're to honor our parents. Ten Commandments, right? Exodus 20, 12, honor your father and mother. And then Peter, Paul interprets that as certainly in the context of honoring as children, to be obedient to our parents, to honor them by be obedient. But we know that this command goes beyond that. We're to honor our father and mother from the day we're born till the day they die. In fact, remember, Jesus has this encounter with the Pharisees who were sort of getting around this command by they were parking their funds in the temple treasury, Korban, so they didn't have to have to support their mother and dad. Jesus took them to task on that. He said, hey, don't you understand? Honor your father and mother is more than just the children. It's all of life. And there's a fourth, fourth way that honor is commanded, husbands, we're to honor our wives. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way as a weaker vessel, showing honor. Why? Because they're heirs of the grace of life. And so for my wife, you know, we have, we have different roles and abilities and, and strengths and weaknesses, but as a husband, I'm to honor her as a fellow heir of the grace of life. We don't have time, and this is not a marriage conference this morning, to develop what that actually looks like, but we're commanded to do that, husbands. And then we're to honor everyone. 1 Peter 2.17, Peter comes back to this, says, honor all, honor everyone. But in particular, what we're going to focus on this morning is this competition that, that Paul enjoins the church to outdo one another in showing honor. How do we do that? Well, let me give you just three things to kind of undergird how we do that and what it takes to do that. First of all, it starts with a heart of humility. There's no way I can honor you or you can honor me unless we are humble. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 2, if you would, please. Philippians chapter 2. A very familiar passage. I'm sure you've 
have read it, maybe some of you have memorized it, but we find here Paul in instructing and exhorting the church. The context here in Philippians 2 at the beginning is the context of, I want you to have harmonious relations, I want you to be unified, intent on one purpose, and so he, he exhorts them at the beginning in the first two verses, and then he begins to apply it. In verse 1, if there is any encouragement in Christ, and by the way, the way that's written, it's saying, yes, there is. We have encouragement in Christ. If there's any consolation of love, any fellowship with the Spirit, any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. In other words, Paul says, you know, we, I know you're in a diverse body of Christ, but I want you to be unified in these areas. Well, Paul, how do we do that? That's a great calling, right? We're to have unity in the body of Christ, same purpose, same intent, united in spirit, same love. Well, verse 3 answers that. Do nothing. You know, I believe in the absolute inerrancy and sufficiency of Scripture, but there's some words I would like to get out, right? Do nothing, he says out of selfish ambition or conceit. If we're going to honor one another, as Paul instructs us to do, and outdo one another in honoring each other, then we must not have selfish ambition or conceit. Selfish ambition. In the Greek, it's, it's a word that talks about political parties and divisions. <laughs> Very appropriate for this time of year, as both sides of the aisles are digging in, and uh, I'm not being political here, but just say hey, it's real divided spirit, and that selfish ambition was used of uh, of politics of that day, but what Paul's using it, he's basically saying this, don't live with with the idea, what can I gain from that person? How can I advance over that person? How can I get from them what I need? It's an attitude of self-centeredness, and and brothers and sisters, we cannot honor one another and get into this competition of outdoing one another if we have selfish ambition. If I look to you, and you look to me and say, how can I use Barry to get where I want to go? Or vice versa. And then he uses the term conceit. Do nothing out of that. Conceit. Uh, some translations uh, translate an empty conceit. conceit. Uh, I think the King James uh, is an interesting uh, vain glory. But basically, conceit is being puffed up to the point that I am very important, self-importance. And Paul said, you know, we're not going to have unity in the body, and we're not going to have the same purpose and intent and the same love and the same unity if, you're, if we're strutting around. Each was saying, I'm more important than you are. So Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition and nothing out of conceit. In fact, one translation said, don't live to make a good impression on others. I love what John MacArthur comments on this. He says, whereas selfish ambition pursues personal goals, empty conceit seeks personal glory and acclaim. The former selfish ambition pertains to personal accomplishments. The latter conceit to an overinflated self-image. And when you and I have selfish ambition and conceit, we will not, we will not honor others, as Paul instructed us to do. Well, Paul, what kind of attitude then? If we're not to have selfish ambition and, 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 and empty conceit, 
We're not to live that way. Well, how are we to live? Well, he says, but in humility or in humility of mind or lowliness of mind. In other words, it's not about me, but it's about the other person. Someone has said this about humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourselves, but not thinking of yourselves at all. In other words, humility is, we're not, we're not coming saying, it's all about me, it's all about my needs, it's all about my advancement, it's all about who I am. No, Paul says, no, in humility, humility of mind, of lowliness of mind. Well, I ask the question, how do you know when you, you're acting that way that you have humility of mind? He says in the next phrase, consider others as more important than yourselves. You know, some commands are really difficult. I remember when I was uh, candidating many years ago, no, say many years ago, some years ago, at, the, at my church, and I preached on this. And uh, it's a hard passage to preach. I was basically saying to the, the congregation, saying to myself, hey, you are more important than me. What does he mean by that? Well, he's simply saying our importance is not based on rank or rank or wealth or education, but who we are in Christ, right? And that equals everything. And when we honor others above ourselves, brothers and sisters, we need to in humility, consider the person sitting next to you or in the back of the pew is more important than yourself. Well, Paul, what does that look like practically? He goes on and says, everyone should not look not only for his own interests, but for also for the interests of others. Here's what I love about Scripture. Very words are important here. He didn't say everyone should not look out for his own interest. He says, not only for his own interest. You catch that? So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not to look out for my own interest in the sense before Christ and who I am, but I'll also look out for the interests of others. And that's the foundation of really honoring one another. Paul's not saying neglect yourself at the expense of others, but look for their interests and needs and serve them. Look for ways to honor them. Outserve, out honor one another. Well, Paul, do we have an example? Who in the world can live like that? I got the perfect example, Paul says. It's Jesus. Verse 5. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existed in the form of God, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped or exploited. In other words, did did. When Jesus came to earth, didn't he not deserve all the honor and praise? I mean, there's no one else. We just, you know, we just talked about it. we're to honor God. But Jesus left the glory of heaven, came to earth, took on the form of a servant, verse 7, taken on the likes of humanity, and when he had become as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. My brothers and sisters, we know this. There's no more horrible death than the death on the cross. And he stood as our substitute for us. He was willing to be dishonored. He was willing to put our interests above himself and to die on the cross for you and me. We have a great Savior, don't we? A loving Savior. 
Jesus had every right to be honored by everyone, yet he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So how do we enter into this competition, competition about doing one another in honoring each other? Well, it starts with the heart. Lord, give me that humility that sees others as more important than myself so I can honor them. It's a radical, it's a radical shame, but Jesus exemplified that. Second, now it starts with the heart of humility, but second, to honor others in the body of Christ, we must acknowledge their worth and value in the body of Christ. I think you know this biblically, but we are the body of Christ, right? There's hands and feet, and Paul used that. In fact, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And Jesus, appeared, Jesus appears to us in his presence through the members of the body of Christ. He lives inside you and me. And the way we interact with one another is the way we are interacting with Christ himself. Look at verse 27 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul writes, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Now here's what happens. When I begin to disrespect or dishonor and not treat other believers with honor and bestowing honor on them, what has happened in my own life is that I've taken my eyes off the fact that they are indwelt by the living Christ as I am, and they're part of the body of Christ, and everyone is valuable. Everyone is worthy because of Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul's focus in this chapter is spiritual gifts, isn't it? Um, about three weeks ago, I was racing up uh, the downstairs steps. We have a finished basement down there. In fact, my grandson, our grandson lives there right now. He's apprenticing in a, a company. And so I rushed up the steps and, and stubbed my toe. You know, there's probably no worse pain than that. I mean, my wife said, did you say anything about it? Uh, you know, I said, no, I just, and, you know, I, it, you know, first I thought, is it broken? And uh, the pain subsided, so I figured it wasn't broken. I have to go to my doctor or emergency room. And, but the next few days, it looked terrible. I showed my wife, I think she almost passed out. It just, you know, looked like, Ugh. Well, you know, I don't think much about my toes. I mean, I got shoes on, I don't, you know, I don't say, hey, look at my toes, you know. It's functional, right? But I don't look at them, and it's, you know, I maybe wear sandals, maybe, and some, I know some of the women do that, wear sandals, and they uh, color their toes. But, you know, I don't think about my toes, but when I busted that thing and just jammed it, it affected me. And Paul says that's sort of the least respectable part of the body. He's going to say in the text here that we might, doesn't matter what spiritual gift you have, we are all worthy in the body of Christ and we treat one another with respect. Look at verse 23. Paul writes, And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, like my second toe or my left foot, we clothe these with greater honor and our respectable parts are treated with greater respect which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has, listen to this, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable. That there be no division of the body, that the members would have the same concern for each other. Remember what he's saying there, oh, we have the public gifts, we have the leadership, we have elders, we have the teachers and preachers, and some of those public gifts. But he says, listen, 
Everyone in the body of Christ is gifted. Everyone is valuable in the body of Christ. It doesn't matter if you have the gift of mercy, the gift of service, or a gift you can't even define, but you're using it. We are all honorable and valuable in the body of Christ. You see? It's so easy for us to lose that, and, and, and we fail to understand the worth and value by the grace of God that everyone in this room who is a true believer, you are valuable in Christ. There's no, this kind of level Loved by the same Savior, gifted by the same Savior, experienced the same grace as the Savior has given you and me. We're all in this together. So there'll be no division in the body, but the members have the same concern for each other. So we want to honor one another because God has placed us into this body. And we are members of this body. And we are valuable and needed. Does that make sense? I tend to forget that a little bit. There's another passage that drives us home. Turn to James chapter one, uh, 2. James chapter 2. Again, the argument is I'm saying here, first of all, to honor others, it starts with the heart. I need that humility to see others as more important than myself. And, and then secondly, we need to see others as valuable and worthy as members of the body of Christ. In James chapter 2, you probably remember the story. The church was scattered, maybe at Stephen's persecution, we're not sure. And they were scattered all over the place. And uh, <laughs> you can imagine what might have happened because uh, let's just say this morning that a person stepped into this congregation who uh, maybe is very hom homeless dirty, smelling, maybe the smell of alcohol, they come into the congregation, and then right behind him is Tom Galasano. You know, probably the richest person in, in Rochester. And you're in need as a church. I mean, you're in need, you're, you can't already feed your family, and so you see this homeless person walk in, and you see Tom Galasano, and you say, hey, Tom, <laughs> here's a seat in the front. If you're Baptist like I am, it'd be the seat in the back. <laughs> it's the most valued seat. <laughs> and then the poor man, you can sit over there in, in the, the back row there, kind of out of the way. We got this important, very important individual here who's got a lot of money, and uh, we want to treat him with respect. And apparently James picked this up from some of the congregations, and he starts out in verse 1, brothers do not show favoritism as... You hold to the faith of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, and if you look with favor or you pay special attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, you say, hey, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor person, hey, stand over there. Or sit by, on the floor by my footstool. Haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? You're in this for yourself. But look at verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers, didn't God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he promised to those who love him? And the answer is yes. Now look around this congregation. I don't know where you are economically, educationally, whatever. I know my own congregation. But we are all equal in Christ. We are all rich in faith and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Amen? It's not based on economic status. It's not based on social status. It's not based on where you work or don't work. 
You see, we live in a world that honors celebrities and, and powerful people, the actors and the athletes and the super wealthy and the rich. But brothers and sisters, as we understand, acknowledge the incredible value of every believer who by the grace of God is gifted and blessed in Christ, and so we honor one another. Hey, I am rich in faith, you're rich in faith. I am a co-heir in Christ, so are you. And that levels the playing field. We are all valuable by the grace of God. So I'm just laying the groundwork. How do you outdo one another in showing honor? There's competition here that the church should be doing, Paul's saying. Well, it starts with the heart of humility. We acknowledge the worth and value of all members of Jesus in the body of Christ. Number three, we remember that we have been honored by God by his grace, so we honor others who have been honored by God. In other words, because we are in Christ, who has honored us by his ultimate sacrifice, dying in our place for our sins, we are now children of God, heirs of God, fellow heirs of Jesus Christ. And he is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters in his family. In other words, you and I have been super honored by Christ, by his grace, so we are free and empowered to honor Others. So I, I don't know to seek honor from Dwayne. I got it in Jesus already. I am free, hopefully, to, to honor him. And see him with hum, in humility is more important than myself. He is a child of God. To honor other believers is not based on economic status. It's not based on ethnicity. It's not based on education. It's not based on a person's worth or what they see of themselves, it's who they are in Jesus Christ. And if you've been a true believer here this morning, we're all rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. And so we honor what God has already done. I, I, I talked about this last week. I think identity in Christ is so important, and I keep coming back to this, and I think I shared last week. I I go through a list almost every day just reminding me who I am in Christ. I need that because I'm in a world that kind of wants to strip me of that. But I'm a saint this morning. Maybe I find it hard to believe, but I am. <laughs> and so are you. <laughs> I'm a child of God by his grace, and so are you. I am forgiven, and so are you. I am a new creation in Christ, and so are you. I am blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavy places in Christ Jesus, and if you are in Christ, so are you. There's not one blessing that I have that you don't have, and vice versa. I'm gifted by God's grace with certain gifts to serve in the body, and so do you have gifts by God's grace, so to serve in the body of Christ. I can call God my Father, and so can you. That's the bottom line. You and I have been honored by God, by his grace, through his son, Jesus Christ. Now we are free and empowered to honor others who have experienced that same. Now, let's get practical here a little bit. 
close here. What does it look like to honor one another? Well, let, me, let me make a general statement and then a few specifics. I'll close. This is from Ben Sandsburg, Sandsburg, who wrote these words, and he says it well, so I'm going to read them. general statement, then we'll make some application. There's something intangible, he writes, about honor. Yet you know it when you see it. Honor is a demonstration of love for another person. Honor shows value. It is the declaration of the inherent value others have as image bearers of God. Above all, since no one except God himself is truly deserving of it, honor is an act of grace. It is giving someone else what they don't always deserve and can never earn. He writes, honor is the opposite of shame. Shame drives people away from community. It marks people as outcasts, unloved and unvalued. A shame person says, if you really knew everything about me, you wouldn't love or value me. But honor draws people into community. Honor says, I know everything about you, and I love and value you. Isn't that what Jesus basically said? He says, I, I knew everything about you, but I loved you and honored you and valued you and died in a place for your, your sins. And now you are co-heirs with me, and I am not ashamed to call you my brothers. That's honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. Even those that are less honorable in the body of Christ, that don't have the gifts, and don't have the education, the status, or whatever we measure in the world. We live down two ways. First of all, we can bestow honor with words. Genuine words. I appreciate, Dwayne, what you said. You were recognizing people back there who uh, sort of, they're faithful doing the soundboard every week, and I know you guys aren't seeking any praise, but just to honor them. You recognize that. Behind the scenes, people. You know. Words like to a person, hey, I'm grateful to have you in my life. I really appreciate how God has gifted you. You know, it encourages me to see you serve in this way. Or I'm thankful that the Lord brought us together. We say to someone in the body of Christ, we're blessed to have you part of this body. I appreciate your growth in Christ. Or even coming up to a person and saying, hey, could I pray for you is a sense of honor. I really care about you. And then to allow them to answer the question, hey, could you pray for me? Sometimes leaders, we need to learn that. We sort of go one way, but I found that when I say, hey, could you pray for me? There's, we're honoring, hey, you have the same access that I have into the into the throne room of God. And we're so honored with actions too, don't we? We invite people into our lives and communities that sort of in our body maybe aren't a part of that. We enter into their lives, we treat people with respect, we listen, we seek them out, we serve them. I, I'm reminded of, uh, in fact, I have a small group right after this. Uh, this is one of those Sundays I'm going to be scooting out and... Uh, Catch, uh, we have lunch at noon, and then we have a small group. A small group, not really a small group, it's about 20 or so. Well, it's small, but not small enough probably. But um, I, I think of uh, the dear gal who's in our small group. Her name's Maria. Maria is uh, emotionally challenged, struggles. She's had a, a tough background. She's bipolar. 
she knows the Lord. I'm convinced of that. I see in her life. But Maria will come at our, our meeting, and she'll probably say this today uh, in the midst of it. Other than sometimes she'll ask me, are you taking care of the, your wife's kitties? She's <laughs> always talking about the cats. and You know, that's the first thing she talks about. But then she'll, she'll, she'll say something like this. Hey, hey, Barry, does God still love me or accept me? I said, Maria, yes, he does. He died for you just like he died for me. You're valuable. And, and, and she'll blurt out some things during the small group, and, and her prayers are short, but they are specific. In fact, sometimes I think we need to learn from her. And she'll pray, and she'll take it. But, you know, she's valuable. She's a sister in Christ, and we love her in our group. And, but, yes, she needs that affirmation because of how she sees things and perceives things. Honor one another. Outdo one another, showing honor. One other closing illustration. Uh, when I was in Tulsa, after I got out of seminary, uh, I was there for 12 years on staff at a church. Um, it's one of those churches that uh, the church I've been in. We had more dentists and, and, and medical doctors per square inch than I ever saw. I mean, they're all around. And, uh, one, one guy that was uh, 10 years older, his name was Ken. He was an orthodontist, uh, well-established in the community, uh, a discipler of men. He was in our church, a very godly man. He would ask me out to eat. And uh, here I was as a young seminarian, just kind of struggling. In fact, I thought I was blowing it. I, I, thought, I, learned, I thought I knew everything West when I went to seminary until I got to church. <laughs> and all of a sudden, everything blowing apart, and it made me, you know, put a bunch of hats on, and I, I remember popping Tums in my stomach and um, you know, going to my doctor and saying, hey, you know, stressed out. But Ken was just gracious enough. He would take me out to eat. And, and, you know, he didn't have to. He was way far above me, certainly economically and status in the community and in spiritual life, but he'd take me out to eat. He'd make the initiative. We'd go out to eat. And, and uh, I remember a time, you know, he'd always pay, but I always tried to grab for it. But I kind of realized, you know, he, it's an honor for him to do that. But after one thing I remember about Ken that, that reminded me that we got in a little competition. He would always open the door for me. I don't know how he did it. <laughs> I mean, I'd be going to the restaurant, and he somehow, hey, no, Ken, you. No, 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 you. He opened the door for me, and if he picked me up, he opened the door for me to get out of the car. And, and I tried to beat him to it, but I couldn't. And I, and I thought it was kind of you know, chivalry or something. What is this? No, he was living out in a small way, showing honor. And I'll never forget that. And I, I would try all that I could. It became a competition, maybe not for the right reasons for me, not going to this passage, but he was living that out. My brothers and sisters, the gospel has made us so that we are honored by God completely. Now, let's outdo showing honor to one another. Here's what I encourage you to do. Pray. Pray this passage. Lord, help me each day to take the lead in showing honor and value and respect to others for the glory of God. Just we can pray that prayer and see how God works. That's the gospel, my brothers and sisters. We thank God for that. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the fact that you loved us even though we were dishonorable rebels. You loved us and you gave yourself, your son for us, and now we have new life and we can honor others. Help us in the body of Christ here and at Cornerstone to be committed to honoring one another, to outdo one another in showing honor. Give us that heart of humility to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a reminder.